0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, we have a great privilege this week because the Feast of the Transfiguration falls on a Sunday. And so at Sunday Mass, we can hear three readings that all focus around this great mystery. Over the years, I preached a lot on the Transfiguration because that gospel reading comes up regularly, and it's very rich. We can look at all kinds of different angles and perspectives. But, you know, today I want to concentrate on the second reading because it, in a rather oblique way, talks about the Transfiguration, but it really packs a punch. There's a point being made here that's of central significance for understanding the nature of Christianity, The second reading is taken from the second letter of St. Peter, a letter we don't read that often from during the Mass. Listen now to this excerpt. Beloved, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Huh. Beloved, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you Jesus Christ. The world that the early church moved into was a world dominated by a mythological imagination. So the Christian church moved out of its Palestinian homeland into a Greek and Roman world. The stories about the gods and goddesses structured the spiritual imagination of the people of that place and time. What are myths? What's the nature of a mythological imagination? Let me rely here on my former teacher, Father Robert Sokolowski, someone I've quoted often before. He said many years ago, myths, at their best, are poetic articulations of the natural necessities. That sounds kind of complex. It really isn't. They're poetic articulations, they're narratives and stories that express the natural necessities. That is to say, the basic truths about life, about nature, and about the world. So, for example, we hear in mythology of the sky god Zeus. What's he like? Powerful? Beautiful? all-embracing, but also capricious and dangerous. Who is he? He's the sky. He's the sky itself, which is beautiful, awe-inspiring, all-embracing, and can also send down the rain that turns into floods, can send down the lightning that starts a fire that destroys your village, that can send hailstorms and so on. The sky is... Majestic, wonderful, powerful, and dangerous. We hear in mythology of the goddess Gaia. She's rich and fecund and fertile. Well, she is the earth itself. Keep in mind, ancient peoples lived much closer to the earth than we do. Well, she expressed it symbolically. We hear of Narcissus. Remember the beautiful young man that is so enraptured by his own beauty that he just stares at his reflection in the water. What's being expressed there? A deep psychological truth that self-absorption is destructive and dangerous. We hear of Demeter and Persephone, that great story, remember, that The god of the underworld kidnaps Persephone and for several months every year holds her captive. And during those months, her mother, Demeter, mourns. Well, Demeter is the goddess of wheat and grain. That's why nothing grows during the winter months. The story expressed the rhythm of the seasons. We hear of Apollo. In his beauty and intelligence, he symbolizes the arts and the sciences. We hear of Neptune. He's like Zeus. He's beautiful, powerful, serene, and can be very dangerous. Well, he's the sea. One moment you can be admiring the depth and the beauty and the serenity of the ocean, the next minute it can be dragging you to your death. That's the way it goes with the sea. Sokolowski's point was, in all these beautiful stories... We hear deep and abiding truths. Truths about nature, about the psyche, about the world. Myths reveal the basic structures of reality. As such, myths are generic. They're about the general, repeatable necessities of life. They articulate, if you want, the background experience of human beings of any time or place. That's why, to this day, we can read the myths and find them deeply truthful and deeply helpful. That's their nature. To the mythological imagination, we can contrast history. History is different than mythology. Why? Because history is about the particular and the unrepeatable. History is about once-and-for-all events, people and things that, as it were, broke across the general truths of the world, that stood out in all of their unrepeatability and particularity. They are about things that really happened. The myths are about generic truths. So... History speaks of Napoleon. Napoleon was a once-and-for-all figure. He did very particular things at a very particular time. And because of him, the story of history changed. Modern Europe is the way it is, to a large extent, because of Napoleon. Mythology will talk about Neptune or Zeus, but history talks about Julius Caesar... One very particular Roman who did very definite things at a particular time. And because of that, history took a different course. You know, the Roman Empire developed because of Julius Caesar, and therefore Europe developed because of Julius Caesar. Mythology articulates the great general truths. History speaks of particular, actual events. Okay, now against that background, Christians, listen again to St. Peter. We did not follow cleverly concocted myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a stubbornly historical religion. Let me say that again. Christianity is a stubbornly historical religion. It's not a philosophy, not a set of ideas, not an ethical system, and not a mythology. Christianity is not like the mythic stories dealing with Zeus and Neptune and Narcissus. Rather, it's about a very particular person. This Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's a place we can visit to this day. This Jesus who walked through cities that we know of, that we can describe and define. This Jesus who died, as we say in the creed, week after week under Pontius Pilate. Well, Pontius Pilate was a real historical figure. We can verify his existence by other means. Nobody ever talks about those real places where Hercules walked around. No one looks for the political setting when Zeus came and visited the earth. No one wonders who was the particular governor when Neptune rose from the waves. See, those are myths They're about general truths. No one mistakes them for history. Christianity is an historical religion. Now, friends, how come this matters? Why am I harping on this point? But to be fair, why is St. Peter harping on this point? I'm just echoing him. There has been from the beginning of Christianity to the present day Boy, you can see it in spades today. There's always been this tendency to allow Christianity to devolve to the level of a myth. A nice, deep, and inspiring story. Like the story of Zeus or Neptune or Narcissus or Gaia. Oh, true, true enough. Yes, telling us very important, deep things about the way the world goes. But to allow that to happen is to rob Christianity of its essence, is to rob Christianity of its punch and its power. I know it fits in very well with the etiquette and style of our time. You know, who am I to be imposing my religion on you? You know, if this Christian story doesn't work for you, well, that's okay. Find another story. If this Christian myth doesn't do it for you, well, become a Buddhist or a Hindu or or go back to the ancient myths. There are a lot of books today urging just that. The relativism and subjectivism and the indifferentism of our time conduces toward the reduction of Christianity to the level of a myth. Notice, please, though, how often in the New Testament They emphasize the facticity of things. St. John says, This word of life, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which our hands have touched. Listen to Peter again. We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received honor and glory from God when that unique declaration came to him from the majestic glory This is my Son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. He's talking about the transfiguration which they saw and which they heard. This Christ, in all of his particularity, grabs us by the lapels and shakes us into a new way of thinking and seeing, in a way that a myth never can. St. Peter, who speaks to us today, made his way to Rome. and In the year 64 AD, during the persecutions of Nero, endured an upside-down crucifixion, not far from the place where the Basilica of St. Peter stands today. Did you ever notice, friends, there are no martyrs to Zeus. No one died defending the stories of Neptune. No one endured persecution unto death for the sake of Hercules or Narcissus. doesn't work that way with myths. No one dies for a generic truth. But someone may die, in fact, people did die for this particular Jesus. To catch that distinction is to catch something very important about Christianity. It's why St. Peter insisted on it 2,000 years ago. And do we need his message today? And God bless you.
0: I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.